You're listening to the Keith to the City podcast. All right, the Rangers return from their long layoff, needing to basically win 75% of their remaining 34 games, and they've done that so far. Three wins in their first four since their layoff that leaves them with 30 games left in the season. They're currently on pace for 88 points. They're 11 points off pace for that second wild card, so a lot of ground has to get made up. They basically have to go 21-6-3 to finish the season, which seems improbable. It's going to take a miracle. But again, this season was never about the playoffs. It was never about wins and losses. It was about experience and development for the young core so that next season they'd be ready to make a run for the playoffs. And two and three years down the line, they'd be ready to be a true elite contender in the league, and they seem to be headed in the right direction, whether or not they're headed to the playoffs this year. Uh, a lot's going to happen within the next couple weeks with this team, the trade deadline, in a couple Mondays from now. Um, and there's a lot of ways, a lot of avenues they can go. They can move Chris Kreider. They can move Alexander Georgiev. They could potentially move Ryan Strome, Jacob Truba, Tony D'Angelo, Brady Shea. Pretty much every name's out there that's a restricted free agent, uh, going to be a free agent this summer. Um, is Henrik Lundqvist, is Jacob Truba, who's now a luxury at this point, given their young defensive core and the abundance of talent they have uh, to be on the blue line in a few years. And Brady Shea, who signed long-term at a good rate at $5.25 million, but his game seems to have fallen off. Maybe there's a team that could use Shea. I hope there is. But the Rangers are going to potentially have a much different roster in two weeks than they have today. Or maybe they have the same roster. Maybe they do enough to prove to the front office that they don't need to trade. They don't need to tear it apart. They don't need to do a third straight pre-deadline sell-off. To me, they still do. To me, no matter what happens in these next few games, even if they continue this run, even if they continue to win at a 75% clip, it doesn't matter. They're not going to make the playoffs. It's just They're just not going to. 21-6-3, that's something Tampa Bay does. That's something St. Louis does. That's something these Rangers hopefully will do down the line, but they're not going to do it this season. So they need to keep with the plan. They need to keep rebuilding, not let this crazy pipe dream of making the playoffs stand in their way and alan creed of the new york times joining me to talk about what's going to happen with the rangers in the next couple weeks what's happening now where they are with henrik lundquist and the three goalie situation what might happen with chris Kreider and all of the other restricted free agents and impending unrestricted free agents who could possibly get moved so here we go all right joining me today to talk rangers hockey is alan creed of the new york times hockey writer for the new york times alan how's it going today uh it's good it's good. The, the Rangers are uh, moving closer to, well, the trade deadline is less <laughs> than three weeks away. And, you know, the young team work in progress mantra continues. Some good signs, some interesting developments and, you know, some stress to go with what's likely to be something of an active trade deadline period in a couple of weeks. That is true. And I guess to go with the trade deadline, uh, the Maple Leafs getting Jack Campbell from the Kings the other night sort of threw a wrench into the Rangers' plans as I think Toronto was, if not at the top of the list of expected suitors for Georgiev, he was certainly one of them. It sort of hurts the Rangers from that aspect, but there is this growing sentiment now almost that they're going to hang on to Georgiev. Maybe he doesn't get traded if their uh, seemingly high demands aren't met. And now there's a lot of rumors about Henrik Lundqvist and the, the sad foreshadowing when he talks about the future of his career and potentially um, getting bought out this summer. No one really knows what's going to happen, but the three-goalie situation moves on as Friday night Georgiev's back in goal. Right, right, and this is complicated because many levels at work, you have the franchise goalie, the icon, Henrik Lundqvist, in this 
unusual spot for him where he's dressing as the healthy backup has not been scratched, which would really be a sign of something uh, dramatic uh, that hasn't happened yet. But since Igor Sturkin arrived on January 7th and promptly won his first game, there's a different feeling around the team and, and around Henrik in particular. This is just very different territory for him. And basically the Rangers have two good young goalies and a veteran icon, and that can't last forever. Something has to happen. The supposition is possibly by next Monday, but I think deep down the organization really likes Gorgiev, and moving him may not be something they really want to do. Although they have to sign him this summer, he will be a restricted free agent, so they do have to figure that the numbers. But Henrik's future is, is curious. Uh, he's got one more year on the big contract he signed back in December of 2013. It was a seven-year contract. It goes through 2021, and... By the end of next year, we'll definitely have a changing of the guard, but I don't think anyone thought it would be this year until really the last few weeks have developed in a different way or an unusual way, causing this three-goalie logjam and an inevitable decision one way or the other. Yeah, and it seems like if Lundqvist was going to waive his no-trade clause, he probably would have done it either last year or the year before even when he was younger, when the Rangers were much worse than they are at their current state. The light at the end of the tunnel wasn't necessarily there yet. They didn't have Panarin. They didn't get the second pick in Kako. They didn't trade for Truba. Uh, It was really years away from contention. They were able to sort of speed up that rebuild. And the fact that he wasn't able to move up or waive it before makes me think he's certainly not going to waive it now. But I don't know. It seems like maybe he's getting tired of sitting in the three weeks he went between starts he has a shutout then the defense lets him down he gets pulled from a game I don't know maybe it wears on him enough to the point that he decides that he wants to go somewhere and and really make a run at the cup one last time it's possible it's just that it's so tricky for a goalie to be moved uh, late in the season especially to a playoff bound team with a chance to win you'd basically need an opening for a number one or a 1a and maybe Colorado, maybe Carolina, Toronto was possible until a few days ago, but still you have to be sent somewhere and become the starter and carry a team through. There's a lot of variables that make it trickier than adding a scorer at the deadline. Like a Marty St. Louis comes over as a major boost to a team. We saw what happened in 2014 with the Rangers, but trading a skater is so different than trading a goalie uh, that that lists late, late stage of a season playoff push playoff bound team that needs a number one and does he really want to win somewhere else and not hang on here and complete the legacy it's a very delicate situation and the rangers of course want to do everything possible to make something uncomfortable not happen but the buyout seems like a harsh ending too a trade would be shocking but he would have a chance to to win somewhere else but where would that be? There's not that many options. He's not going to go to a San Jose or a Buffalo or a team that's out of it, rebuild somewhere else or wait. doesn't have that many years left unless he wants to go into Marty Brodeur territory and play into his 40s. You never know. He's in good shape. He's looked good, but not spectacular, but he's certainly very good. So I don't think his skill set has eroded to that point, but it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one, and it's a palpable feeling of something's coming sooner than later around the team. And I don't know that anyone expects a trade, 
but I guess you can't really rule it out. I'd still say 90% that he doesn't go anywhere. Coming out of the layoff, they basically had to go on this run where they win 75% of their remaining games. They did that so far, winning three out of four here. Uh, 30 games left. It's going to take something crazy along the lines of like a 21-6-3 and finish for them to have a real shot at a wild card berth. So the playoffs are still a long shot. I know people are still holding on to hope that they can make some crazy run and go on some wild winning streak or win 10 out of 11 or something like that. But uh, I hope it doesn't deter them over the next few weeks. And I really don't think it will from making a decision like trading Chris Kreider. It is the it is the decision that's the best for the team. I know he hasn't really talked to the media about it. He's sort of spoken in cliches about focusing on the task at hand while a Ranger. But to you, I mean, to me, it still seems like the right decision is to move him, not extend him. Uh, what do you think about Kreider getting moved? With a double-edged sword, I, I feel like the Rangers have traded so many key veterans. Obviously, they had to move some of those. Rick Nash, that was inevitable. Ryan McDonough became inevitable. Derek Stepan, Dan Girardi, Bayad. I mean, it's been a lot of pieces. Matt Zuccarello last year, I think, hurt the psyche of the team, though. I think they they really didn't emotionally feel good about that at all at the end uh, of last season. And I feel like Chris Kreider might be uh, in a similar place. He's such a leader. He's a veteran that's been here his entire career. The young guys apparently really look up to him. I think it's the money part is is very is big, but I feel like I feel like he brings something that can't be easily replaced, and the rebuild is in progress, and, and you still need some veterans amid the rebuild. So unless the package is just amazing, I, I would try to sign him, even though logic dictates you make the move. But more picks, more prospects, I don't know. I feel like that sets them back unless they have uh, somebody in mind next year to come in and be him. I don't think there is a Chris Kreider uh, duplicate in their system or on their roster right now. I, I would give him the contract he's trying to find or get and, and make, make him the linchpin going forward because some, someone has to lead and maybe he can even be the captain. I don't know if he wants that role. It's curious the Rangers don't have a captain this year. Yeah, Second straight year, really, since McDonough was traded now two years ago. They haven't had one. This is curious territory. I don't think you can keep going with that model either. Someone's got to be the one in the room. And if obviously don't want to give it to a player on an expiring contract, but if you give six, seven years, that's a different story. So, well, I see the financial logic to it, and they are hamstrung because of Kevin Shattenkirk's buy-up money on their books and other contracts they have to figure out. Ryan Strom, Tony D'Angelo, Gorgiev, if he stays. All of this adds up to mathematical confusion because you just can't you can't fit everybody in there the salary cap the way it works Chris Kreider's contract would be huge and lead to some other players getting traded if he doesn't stay those that would lead to those other players maybe all staying so big decision I see the logic on both sides I would favor just watching the team evolve as it has this year last year etc I would favor keeping someone of his stature and just what he brings because I think a long-term contract won't affect how he plays. He plays hard every night, and I feel like making him the one it would elevate his game even more. You mentioned Ryan Strom there, and his career has certainly uh, gone in the positive direction playing with Artemi Panarin, but really anyone's career would if you look at 
what Cam Atkinson did last year with Panarin on his line and what he's done this year with him no longer in Columbus. Uh, Strom's just sort of been the beneficiary of one of the greatest players in the world. And David Quinn the other night took those two apart for a little bit, uh, not even the full game before putting them back together because of their even strength production of late wasn't really where it is. But Strom's a curious case because it seems like he sort of needs Panarin to be successful. When he doesn't have him, he's certainly not as successful, though that would probably be the case with anyone. But to me, I feel like Strom's the type of guy where his stock's never going to be higher. It's not a situation like Kreider where he's a lifetime ranger. He has the ability, like you said, to possibly be the captain. He could be there for this rebuild, see it through. Strom's the type of guy to me that I feel like they need to move him if they have the chance in the next couple weeks. I agree with you on that. I mean, Strom has been a nice pickup for them, definitely an improvement over Ryan Spooner, who they traded for him, I mean, that was uh, kind of a no-brainer looking back. Easy. But he's become, to a large degree, the players the Islanders hoped he would be, making him the fifth overall pick back in 2011. He he was good, but not great for them. He had one fifty-point season. Now he's putting up the numbers, but clearly he's benefiting by Artemi Panarin's fabulous passing, playmaking, etc. on his wing. So, yeah, I, I would agree. Signing him to a long-term deal... I don't know. I mean, that's that's one you could logically say sell high, and and somebody younger will be next in line. It seems like you can put anyone with Panarin, and the game would improve. It's inevitable <laughs> with what he brings. Uh, any two line mates, uh, their stock's going to go higher. It was obvious when he missed the game against the Islanders back on January 21st what the Rangers were missing instantly. You could just see totally different team on the ice. It was like they collectively sagged. Uh, every one of them. So entitled to an off night, but that was an entire team off night, and you could just see the energy he brings, what he brings to his line. Even the coach, Coach Quinn, said, you know, all three players are better. All three of that unit will play better. Panarin himself plays with his linemates better. The linemates play better with Panarin. Without them, without him, they're all suffering. So clearly, though, Strom has been a beneficiary of that greatness. But I, I agree, selling high would would make sense at this point. I'm sure he'd be a sought-after rental, um, also a restricted free agent, so they'd have to figure out his contract. And those contracts aren't cheap, so he'd be looking at something uh, in the range of 3 or $4 million a year, too. So where do you fit all that? It's tough. It's tough, and there are rookies coming, so you can't fit everybody. And decisions have to be made, and we see some. We always see surprises at the deadline. There's always kind of the movie you didn't see coming, and the Rangers have become famous for those. So nothing would shock me, except for Lundqvist, as we talked about. That, that I think, still deep down would shock everyone. But you just never know. But Strom seems like an easier choice than than the others. Yeah, and I think the the wild thing about Panarin is the fact that he has a shot, or you know, it's sort of tapered off here recently with a, with a few uh, lesser games. But he had a chance, or still kind of has a chance to break Yarmir Yager's 123 point team record. And that's doing most of his playing with Jesper Fast and Ryan Strom, who aren't the best of offensive partners to have on a line. To me, I've always felt like they should screw the line balance at some point, put him with Zabanajad, put Kako up there, let the kid show his potential. It works in Colorado, works in Boston. Certainly those teams are at different stages of where they are as uh, playoff teams and contenders. But maybe for the last month of the season, once the playoff dreams are no longer there, maybe they'll try something like that. I agree with you there too. Absolutely, we we saw some of that in preseason, at least or early in the season on the power play. You, you saw those guys as a unit. I mean, passing the puck with super precision. Uh, Zabinajad in this corner, Panarin in that corner, Kreider here, Kako there. Like it's you can see something, and I think they 
just held back the reins on, on Kakao to keep him from, uh, I don't know, trying too hard or trying to excel too much, you know, not to not excel, but trying to put pressure on himself to put up the points when they sure they're working on his overall game. And he's been, he's been good. He works hard. I mean, the points are not huge, but I don't think I expected 60, 50, 60 points. He's got, he's got what he's got. He's got seven goals. He hasn't scored in a while, but the hard work ethic is there. But I think I agree seeing him with those guys, seeing putting Panarin with this youngster, Spinajad, another excellent playmaker. That that would be something to watch. Kreider too. I mean, Kreider too could be part of that mix. So I could see I could see the shackles coming off the reins being loosened a little bit. Last month of the season, they're clearly not going to catch a playoff spot, which is very unlikely. Really, they just they have to literally play like you said, seven and fifty eight hundred points ratio hockey to get there. It's just too many teams to hop over. There's too many games where teams get one point and the other team gets two to make enough ground up over multiple teams. So why not see what you really have in that last month? The coach always likes to talk about how games are building blocks to the following season. That's always a tricky dynamic. I mean, does anyone really think games in March translate to the following October? But if you get a young player's confidence going, well, that's a good example of where it could work. Uh, Capo puts up some big numbers with Panarin down the stretch that could have carry over into the summer and the off season. So I, I'd be in favor of wanting to see that. I think the fans would too. You have to, you have to appeal somehow to people coming out for games that are basically meaningless when the playoffs are out of sight. So make it about the future, make it about the talent you've got. Let's, let's see what's really there. When the Rangers traded for Jacob Petruba last summer, he was sort of needed. Uh, they didn't really have a good defensive core. They got him for the first-round pick they had already gotten from Winnipeg for Kevin Hayes, uh, and now he's sort of a luxury. And I feel like that's kind of the same with Brady Shea, too, when they extended him at just over $5 million cap hit for a long-term deal. Uh, it looked like a great move and, and a great signing at the time, but he's sort of a bonus now, too, given the fact that Adam Fox has emerged and Lindgren's emerged and Tony D'Angelo is one of the best offensive defensemen in the league this season. And there's still guys to come, whether it's Miller or Jones, and they sort of have an abundance of young, up-and-coming defensemen. Certainly not all of them they're going to hit on, but they only have to hit on really one or two more to have a top six in the league. Do you see any situation here where Chuba or even Shea gets moved now that Chuba has a no-trade clause kicking in this summer and Shea is locked up long-term at a pretty solid price? Not impossible. I mean, clearly the contract, Jacob Chuba, is, is, a, is a tough one to carry. It's like a long-term contract for a player that you know really hasn't shown a whole lot so far as a Ranger. So it's hard to justify $8 million year after year when you have young talent coming up behind it and and you know guys are wanting to make an impact that it would cost you far less i could see it it's a question of having another team be willing to take on the same contract that's a tricky one brady shea somehow i feel like he's not so much regressed but he's not enjoying the system he's being asked to play and he's tentative at times uh better at other times but i feel like he's something in his game is not as freewheeling as it had been before and if a team is out there situation is out there that might work for him i i I could see that move too that would free up cap space and maybe he'd be happier hard to say but i think either either or could be a potential because of those big contracts and because of the young talent up up and coming uh possible 
possible moves on both fronts. With the talk about Kako maybe getting first line minutes, maybe playing with Panarin, Zibanejad, something happening in the last month of the season once the playoffs no longer a real possibility. Hopefully that day comes also where the fourth line is used with guys who are a part of this future of this team, and it's not Greg McKegg, and it's not Brendan Smith, the defenseman playing forward, and it's not Michael Haley. Do you think right. we're drawing closer to that time where players, whether uh, they're in Hartford and their season ends, come up, but there's got to be a time where those valuable minutes, that experience, there's only 82 games in the season, every second of ice time that could be going to someone else is going to them. It's players that are going to help this team two and three years down the line get NHL experience. Uh, true. I, I suppose I could see them maybe giving Kravstov a few games at the end, maybe the last, I don't know, two or three weeks. A shot. He seems to have responded pretty well to his second uh, go round with Hartford after kind of a rocky early season snafu. He went back to Russia and now he's back in uh, Hartford. So I could see it. Uh, get a look at him here for a handful of games. I don't know if they really want to push it. They may say, you know, give him this full season and let this let the summer percolate, uh, let him work out uh, a bit more comfortable in North America again. And then next September is next September. I think it all depends on just where the team is emotionally after whatever trades there are. I mean, if you see a major overhaul again, then it's sort of all bets are off. You know, try anything for those last uh, six weeks or five weeks. But Kreider stays and Georgia stays and the team's kind of as it was constructed with some tinkering. That's a different story. But I, he's the one player I could see uh, having a chance. Uh, Leah Anderson, of course, is now back in Sweden. I don't think we'll see him anytime again this season. Uh, maybe next next summer, next fall is a different story. But that's that's a different type of work in progress, uh, as we can see it. And there's a few other guys in Hartford that are doing well. I, I don't know if anyone that wanted prospects that they want to bring in for a look. There's some uh, some nice scores down there. But I think some of those guys were just brought in to make Hartford be competitive so it would help the other young guys so right now the major Hartford piece is here Justerkin is here and thriving he was the one that was sent down to work on his game did everything they asked of him it's all working out uh, Philip Heedle the same went down for a few weeks came back he's been, he's been excellent the whole rest of the way so the Hartford Ranger connection has pretty much worked this year but uh, maybe Kravstov nine, ten games at the end. All right, Alan, thanks again for taking the time to come on and talk about the Rangers. A lot can happen here in these next few weeks. Uh, so many different ways and avenues they can go with the trade deadline, but uh, we'll have to check in again after this is all sorted out and see what the roster looks like. Okay, anytime. Happy to come on. All right, thanks again to Alan for taking the time to come on and talk about the Rangers. Uh, Friday night they play Buffalo. After that, they've got... Los Angeles on Sunday and Winnipeg on Tuesday. So three games here. Uh, Georgiev's getting the Friday night start. I'm going to throw out a prediction. I think it goes Georgiev Friday, then Shesterkin on Sunday against Los Angeles, and then they go back to Lundquist on the road in Winnipeg on Tuesday. Um, I think that's probably what they have scheduled right now, barring Georgiev shutting out the Sabres or playing so great against the Sabres he gets a start against the Kings, does so well there, he gets a third start. It's going to take something like that to throw off the schedule but I would think that they're going to go more of a 1-1-1 schedule I think that's what they want to do 
Um, that's not necessarily the right way to handle things, but that's what it's going to take. Right now, there's been little to no rhyme or reason why they do things. Uh, sometimes the next game's goalie is based on the previous game's results. Sometimes it's based on past performance against the next game's opponent. And sometimes it's based on it was already scheduled. So it's hard to say, but that's my prediction. And uh, that'll do it for today. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Tuesday. Sitting